Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. In roller derby, there's always a lot going on, to quote my guest today. Since its revival in the early 2000s, derby has moved on from the original WWE-like scripted spectacle of women in fishnets and tutus beating each other up to a sport chock full of interesting strategy and impressive shows of ability, while athletes still have the freedom to express themselves through fishnets and tutus if they so choose. Tina Letter Havoc, a jammer in my local women's flat track derby league, and a friend of mine I made while I was a reporter for a local newspaper, joins me to give an inside view on this rapidly growing global sport. My name is Tommy Butler, and you're listening to The Yocho. So we're here with Letter Havoc, jammer, photographer, occasional referee uh, from State College Area Roller Derby or Scar Derby, one of the best names, in my opinion, in derby uh, league-wise. Would you like to start off by introducing yourself? Well, I think you did a great job, but um, most of my people outside of derby know me as Tina, uh, but my derby name uh, is Letter Havoc. It's a play off of my last name, letter, L-E-P-P-E-R. Uh, I wanted to have my last name on my jersey, but I still wanted to do the whole derby name. It wasn't my original derby name, actually. When I first joined about five years ago, no, actually, geez, six years ago. <laughs> 2020 has well, completely messed that up. I can't remember I, when I graduated college now. 2020 doesn't exist, but <laughs> um, considering it, you know, we can't actually um, erase a year. Uh, yeah, six years ago. Actually, my derby anniversary was this week. Uh, so six years oh, ago, when I first, thank you, when I first joined, uh, I had a different derby name. It was Deja Brew because I was working at a coffee shop at the time, and I thought that would be <laughs> clever. Um, but I started to miss like my actual name. So, and I've never played a sport before derby, so I wanted to have my last name on my jersey, but still play into the derby name thing. So, Letter Havoc was born. And you're also number 12 or 1-2, the 1-2 punch. Yeah, yeah, Letter Havoc, 1-2. It was also, um, the number didn't change when I changed my name because in my original name, 12, 12 ounces is a tall at, at Starbucks. <laughs> wow, <laughs> so, that works really well. Yeah, and I like even numbers. So that's, you know, that, that's all the thought that went into picking my number. And no one else in the league had it at that time. So I, you know, it's mine. Are you able to have multiple people with the same number in, in a league? Not in a league. But, um, no, not in a league. Um, obviously, out there in the derby world, there's other number 12s. In fact, the very first time I played another team, when I was on the B team, the B travel team, team named Plan B, I became uh, friends right away with the other, with a skater who also had number 12. Uh, her derby name is Pound Cake from the Susquehanna Valley Derby Vixens out of Sunbury, Williamsport area in Pennsylvania. And she became one of my first derby friends outside of my league. And that was one of the first times I experienced how quickly derby just is this great connection. You, you know, aside from derby, we were complete strangers, but I still consider her a good friend today. And the thing, you know, that, that let us meet was derby. So derby's pretty cool. That's awesome. I love derby names too. And I want to get into talking more about derby names. But before we get into sort of the thick of it i know anyone that hasn't played or watched roller derby may have heard of it from the movie whip it or like myself i think the first time i heard about roller derby was in an episode of psych the tv show okay Uh, yeah but for most people i want to give i want you to give me a quick uh rundown of what is roller derby so the roller derby as I know it and the roller derby that I play is actually flat track roller derby. The roller derby in With It and in other popular films, I think actually in the new Harley Quinn movie as well, 
Um, that is the bank track roller derby. Roller derby first originated as bank track roller derby back way back when, um, and then had a revival in the early 2000s as flat track roller derby because it's more accessible. And the difference being bank track, bank track being on those big wooden, you know, banked tracks. Um, flat track being accessible to any place, anywhere where you can find a flat surface big enough to lay down the track. I'm not going to list the track dimensions <laughs> for you, but um, the version that I know and have played is flat track roller derby. And so the way that you play, do you want to just go into how you play it? Or? Of course, yeah. Okay. So flat track roller derby is a team sport. Um, it's broken down into plays similar to football, but our plays are called jams. So during any one jam, both teams are going to play four blockers, if no one's in the penalty box, but four blockers from each team and one jammer from each team. All of the blockers set up on the track between um, our two lines, kind of imagine them being lines of scrimmage between the jam line and the pivot line. They can kind of set up there. Jammers have to be behind the jam line. They have um, about 30 seconds between jams to get themselves situated. And then once the whistle blows, the jam starts. A jam will go for either two minutes or until the lead jammer ends the jam. So the object of a jam is for a team to get their jammer out of the pack first and then come back around and start lapping the pack for every one player that is left for everyone blocker that is left I apologize the jammer scores one point for every person that they pass from the other team so one lap is four points if you pass every single player um the advantage of being the first jammer out of the pack is you're in control of the jam so a typical jam could start like this the whistle blows a jammer fights her way through the pack she gets out first the she'll be designated as lead jammer she'll come back around and try and pass the blockers from the other team again and as she fights her way past each one of them she gets one point and then she will try to earn those points before the opposing jammer has her chance to come around and score points as well so once the lead jammer makes out on the other side of the pack she will designate to her assigned referee by tapping her hips twice that she is ending the jam um, earning her four points and keeping the other jammer from scoring any points at all. At all. Now, obviously, a jammer can keep going around and around um, as many times as she wants during that two minutes. Um, but you want to try to get the, the, you know, increase your differential. So if the opposing jammer is doing those laps with you and you're both scoring four points at a time, there's really, you know, no advantage to that. Um, other than running the clock out, but you get too much strategy. Um, <laughs> so again, the object is for your team's jammer to score as many points in one jam as she can end the jam or allow the time to go out and then 30 seconds later a new jam starts and usually the the field of players is kind of refreshed does did i is that good <laughs> yeah so uh to to reiterate or try to try to explain back to make sure i got it the the two jammers will um fight to the front of the pack whoever gets there first is in control and mm -hmm. really her goal at that point is then to score points as many points as she can before the other jammer does and yeah. probably the best jam if the other jammer is still playing uh and doesn't get a penalty or uh anything is to get or a typical like one lap would be get four points and then you want to call it off if the other jammer is also doing well to prevent them from bringing it back yeah, you want to be able to score your points before that other jammer gets out of the pack. And just for another quick glossary moment, the pack is that group of blockers from each team. Um, they can't just chase you indefinitely around the track. They have to stay within a certain boundary of each other. Um, otherwise, they're considered to be like offsides. And, then the, and skaters can only make contact when going in one direction, which is the, the counterclockwise direction. Uh, so you can't, you know, turn around, run clockwise, and run into somebody. Um, there are a lot of rules. So the blockers can only hit in legal ways. They can do hip checks, shoulder checks. They can't hit you square in the back. They can't trip you. They can't um, elbow you or forearm you. They can't grab you. It's all using like your, your, your torso mainly. Um, but the blockers can work together and create formations to make their defensive walls stronger, 
Um, they can also play offense at the same exact time as playing defense. So if I'm a blocker and I'm, you know, seeing opportunity to move another team's blocker out of the way of my jammer, I can stop defense for a second, play quick offense, and then go right back to playing defense. It, it, it all happens very quick. <laughs> it's very, uh, if obviously for those listening, it's best to watch a quick uh, jam to kind of understand what the different positions are doing. But there's also a player uh, that is kind of a blocker, but has that option to, uh, I guess this is getting a little bit more into the weeds, but the uh, pivot, I believe, is the one that will, uh, is like a backup jammer. Exactly. Um, So in these, so say for example, um, I am the jammer that did not get lead. I'm stuck. I cannot get out of this pack. And the other team's jammer is just lapping me, rack, like, you know, racking up points for that jam. I might see that my pivot is, a, is in a good position to become the jammer and spring out of the pack. So as a, as a jammer, I'm wearing a helmet cover that has a star. As a pivot, I'd be wearing a helmet cover that has a stripe. So if I if I was the jammer that wanted to kind of tap in the pivot, I would remove my helmet, my star helmet cover, and I would pass that helmet cover off legally, meaning I can't do it if I'm on the ground or out of bounds, legally to the pivot. The moment my hand lets go and the cover is in the pivot's hand, they are now the jammer. And me as the former jammer now just become a regular blocker. And so that jammer... Uh, can you, by the way, can you throw the helmet no. cover? It has to be a handoff. Yeah, it has to be hand-to-hand when both players are upright and inbounds. And so I believe also the pivot, once the pivot turns around and starts acting as a jammer, the pivot has to put that cover on top of uh, their helmet as well before they can start scoring points. Yeah, before they can start scoring points. But if they're just still trying to get out of the pack and they're not eligible to score points yet, just get it, you know, hold it in your hand and and get the heck out of there. And then as you're coming around the track again, put it on your head. Yeah, that's what you'll usually see. Um, So, and it's the referee's job to keep an eye on all of that. So um, that is um, why we usually have a lot of referees uh, for, for a game. Uh, each jammer gets their own referee. There's one referee whose job it is to do to define that pack that I was talking about to prevent skaters from going off sides. There's a pack. There's a um, sorry. There's a referee who watches the front of the pack to make sure that no one goes out of bounds, keep a good view. And then on the outside of the track, there are three referees that all watch the play going on from the outside to make sure that everyone is staying safe. And safety is a big part of uh, of roller derby. Considering you're on wheels, the the rules that you can't trip people intentionally or grab people really helps with the safety aspect. But that's also why you wear the helmets and the elbow pads and knee pads because from the few uh, roller derby matches, games, games. Also- also lovingly called bouts bouts yes i knew there was one there was a word that i was forgetting but from the few bouts that i've seen uh in person people fall over a lot oh yeah one of the first things you learn when you learn how to skate when we are teaching skaters how to skate is how to fall safely um because you want to use your knee pads it's knee pads elbow pads wrist guards a helmet and a mouth guard mouth guard is for um anytime you're doing contact the referees don't have to wear mouth guards but they also wear full protective gear awesome because it's nothing really protecting them from having a skater run into them by accident (laughs) and since they're in the middle of the of the track there's people are falling over in every direction basically oh yeah i've there's been a couple times when a blocker got a really good like body check on me and like threw me into the infield and i ended up in a referee's lap (laughs) (laughs) so you mentioned earlier uh that roller derby is the first sport that you've played how did you get into roller derby the golden question i so i asked another person who played roller derby the same exact question (laughs) 
um, got them talking about it. And as you are quickly learning and have, have also known, because this is, this is the first time we've talked Derby, uh, yes. there's so much to talk about. <laughs> um, and it's utterly fascinating, but I, uh, I was fresh out of college. I was working two jobs and I had really nothing else going on and was kind of in that big transition of going from a, a student living in state college to becoming a person working living in state college and all of my friends from college had moved away i was looking for you know something new to do i had moved into this house that i that i found on craigslist and one of my roommates uh, my, my brand new housemate was a uh, played derby and i asked her and a couple other of the skaters that were over that night and they got to talking about it and i utterly fascinated and they're like well we're actually recruiting right now and I started listing off all the, the reasons we usually hear is, oh, well, I don't know how to skate. And they replied, well, we teach you. I'm like, well, I don't have any gear. Well, we, we have a bunch of extras. Mm, I don't I don't know if I'll be any good at it. That's okay. You can take your time. Some people take, you know, six months to a year to two years to learn. But as long as you keep at it, you'll, you know, you'll get it eventually. And basically, you know, tried coming up with a bunch of excuses, but they made it sound so accessible and they made it sound so welcoming that I was like, yeah, heck, what the heck do I have to lose? So I went to Walmart and bought a mouth guard and went to my first practice and never looked back. Apologies for the interruption to your regularly scheduled program. I have a quick word from one of our sponsors today. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win, division, and championship futures now. Head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. For those who are, obviously it didn't, you weren't immediately one of the, uh, one of the jammers on the number one team travel team for scar uh i believe you said or at some point i had heard that uh skaters take upward at least six months before they're allowed to play travel maybe i'm misremembering that no 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 you're you're you're, you're really you're close so and it's actually we're one of the biggest things about therapy is things are, are constantly changing, but because it's still such a brand new sport, it's actually the newest, you know, the revival of roller derby has, is celebrating its 15th year um, right right now. And state college area roller derby is celebrating, you know, coming up on its 10 year anniversary. And in those 10 years, a lot has gone on. I mean, obviously when SCAR first started, no one knew what the heck was going on. But year after year, you know, we have some long-term members who've been here since the beginning. Um, We've developed a very rich training program. Um, We follow what is currently the Women's Flat Track Derby Association, or WFTDA, I'll I'll start referring to as that, um, has these minimum skill requirements. But one of the things that's been a positive of if we're going to look for silver lining of the current current you know COVID situation and roller derby being on a on a major hiatus is that gave them an opportunity to look at those minimum skills and they're actually in the process of redoing them to make it more about teaching people how to play derby from the beginning because um, right now the way it's structured is you don't even really start looking at roller derby until you finish your minimum skating skills. Um, which this is a very long-winded way of saying it can take um, up, you know, usually around six months. We have a, a training program that's just about um, eight, eight to ten weeks to finish your minimum skills. But then from there, you get transferred to what we what we call our our fresh. We have fresh cuts, and now we're calling them. I forget what we're calling them now. We rebranded the way that we. <laughs> We used to refer to it as fresh meat and tender meat, but that's not a very welcoming. <laughs> it sounds way to it call. sounds very early derby. Yes, it is very early derby. Um, early derby uh, is you know a way to describe when roller derby was first being revived and people were wearing you know fishnets and skirts. Not to say you can't do that now; you're more than happy, more than welcome to. But you'll notice that if you go through the years of watching film, there's less and less fishnets and more and more like. Athletic wear 
I think. But anyway. Yeah, um, I, I think I got a quote at one point from uh, one of the skaters in Scar that it sort of went from sort of I don't remember if the word was savagery, but sort of like uh, the punk aesthetic and just being out there to beat people up and have fun in that way to more strategy and more uh, like having a full full game plan and things like that. Yeah, it's a very concise way of describing it and very accurate. Um, but I know you asked about training. I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's taking forever to like get to the point here because we're it's just it's very interesting that you asked that because we're like just a couple days ago they made this announcement. Um, but once you finish, and in, in at least for for Scar, I'm speaking for. But once you finish learning your minimum skills and you're deemed safe to learn contact, you learn your basic contact skills, which include how to hit, how to be hit. And then once you pass all of those checks, you're then introduced to scrimmage 101. How to, what are the rules of roller derby? How to play, how to be aware of what's going on around you on the track. That's honestly one of the biggest things that you can't really teach someone until they're actually doing it. So, um, and everyone learns at a different pace. And the biggest thing again to emphasize is safety. So we just are constantly evaluating our, our new skaters who are learning to determine, you know, are they safe enough to take it to the next level? Um, and, you know, are they comfortable with themselves taking it to the next level? And eventually, once you are considered safe enough to play or starting to get good, um, you can graduate from the home teams to either our B or our A travel team. And then I've seen, so I saw a lot of inter-squad, inter-league, I should say, uh, bouts. The, is, is that how you train most of the time through scrimmages like that yeah yep we hold when we when we had in person practice, <laughs> back in the good old days back in the good old days um it was twice a week um for we would we would have the track for three hours and we would split it where the first hour would be designated to just the new skaters having the track um, meaning that that was designated for their learning time. A seasoned skater would be more than welcome to join as long as they're tailoring their skating to helping these new skaters learn and thrive. And then there's an hour where it's mixed, but usually the seasoned skaters would be doing like drills on like the track itself. Um, and then the third hour, the seasoned skaters would just, it would just be us. But um, Monday nights, we would pretty much scrimmage for the full two hours that the seasoned skaters had the track. Wednesday nights, we usually split it with drills and skills, but we would more, more often than not end on a scrimmage to take those drills and skills and apply them. So once you had joined uh, Scar Derby, what, what is it like being part of a league? It takes over your life in the best way possible. <laughs> you, <laughs> you have an instant community and an instant network for... Um, you have the, you know, that to look forward to. It's it's kind of like the, the best gym in the entire world to be a member of because you have people who you really look forward to seeing. It's that you're when you're not at practice that you know, hey, are you okay? You weren't at practice. It's like that camaraderie of of wanting to go, and and it it never really felt like a workout, uh, but it absolutely is. Um, and it's. It's challenging at times because, you know, there's, it quickly takes over your life. So learning that um, derby life balances can be challenging at times for some, um, but it teaches you so much beyond how to play roller derby and how to play roller derby well, because we have a board of directors, we have committees, we have ways that we give back to our community who gives so much to us. So not only did I feel more connected to the derby community by playing roller derby, I also felt a lot more connected to the state college community by being part of a league because we did so much with the community around us. And that was really helpful when I was going from a college student to a local. And as a reporter, I can confirm that like, even, uh, even though I wasn't able to participate, I wasn't volunteering or anything. I was just there to talk and learn as much as I could. It's, so easy to feel accepted in a derby uh scenario situation i guess i don't know if that's not the word i'm looking for but like derby world yeah in the derby world (laughs) i again have no experience playing or volunteering but just talking with uh skaters is 
so easy to do, I find. We get really excited about it because it we we love it so much and we just want more people to know about it, but also know about it and respect it in like legitimate ways. So I think whenever there's a reporter, we always just want to go over and be like, listen, whatever you think about roller derby, you're probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or or, you know, how, how can we help you learn learn about uh, roller derby in ways that you probably never expected to learn about it before? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. The, uh, I think I have not seen Whip It, but I remember you told me about that's how a lot of uh, people first learn about it. And then immediately was like, now ignore a lot of that. And let me tell you how it actually is. Uh, just because I mean, again, I haven't seen it. So I don't know what how it's portrayed in uh, that. But I know in I psych, it's it very, <laughs> you haven't seen it either. That's hilarious. Six, six years into roller derby. I still haven't ever seen Whip It um mostly because i think by now i would just i would cringe a lot i don't know <laughs> but i more so i want people to kind of early derby i feel like is what's stuck into a lot of people's heads and you know and that's a lot of where like derby names came from is that early derby and even before the revival in the beginning of the 2000s like when you know black and white aired on television that was staged like wrestling and that's why they had like fun names like wrestlers and a lot of you know banked track when it was the when derby was finding its revival banked track kind of held on to those roots and like some of banked track practices and this is coming from the stories that i've heard from a skater she know she's retired now her name was smarty pants out of texas which is where the revival started they would spend part of their practices staging their fake fights for the banked track roller derby <laughs> <laughs> um, when when flat track roller derby was born, it was born in a way again to increase its like accessibility, but also to increase its strategy. And as derby has evolved over the past fifteen years, we've seen uh, I forget how many versions of the rule set that's constantly being like, edited and added to to add to the safety and to add to the ever evolving strategy to continue to keep it competitive, fun, safe. Um, even in the six years I've been playing, I've seen major changes to the rules that have helped, you know, keep the game going, keep it safe, keep it fair. Um, it's really interesting to to watch because even though it seems like it's, you know, 15 years sounds like a long time, that's still very new for a sport. And so as you were, uh, I guess to explain it another way, like it's gone from entertainment like WWE to a true sport absolutely not to say that the true sport in itself isn't fully entertaining yes no I, of course <laughs> but i think sometimes our you know i've actually talked to some people who after coming to a lot of games said that they find that they found the higher level games that we would play our, our a-team games would at first seem more boring to them because there wasn't those big hits and those big not to say that there weren't big hits at all but there were less pileups, less falling, things like that. And it was a little bit more slow grinding strategery that if you didn't really know what you were looking at, seemed kind of boring compared to our interleague home games where you have newer skaters who are falling more and, you know, bigger things like that. Um, but once people get to understand the game and the strategy, you can there's there's excitement in every single moment and that's something that as a photographer as well is one of the most exciting and challenging parts of being a photographer because you have this one snapshot to capture things that are changing like every five seconds um so yeah it's i highly recommend for anyone who wants to start watching derby to watch it and learn the rules along with it because you'll start to see more the more you understand it and i think the as a broadcaster myself the thing that really uh helped me to understand what was going on was the fact that every single bout that i've seen whether it's highlights on youtube or in person the uh play-by-play -play, who typically stand in the middle of the uh infield are explaining what's going on in a way that assumes that you know nothing about what's happening which is which makes yeah. it so much easier to get in because if you turn on a football game and you don't understand what's happening then mm -hmm. there's no way to understand but i think at the beginning of every single bout i've seen 
there's so the jammer who's wearing the star on uh, her helmet is trying to get past the first person who gets out is the uh, the lead jammer and explains all the rules. Announcers are one of the most unappreciated volunteers in the derby community. Um, I love the announcing community. I tried it once at a, a mixed scrimmage event in Ohio. One of my friends, Champ, if uh, he ever listens to this, hi Champ, let me do, <laughs> take the second microphone. And I was like, uh, <laughs> the entire time. Like, and this is coming from someone who had been playing for five years, like at that time. Um, yeah, one of the things, if you ever go to a, one of the bigger events, so what I'm talking about here is like playoffs and championships for the Women's Flat Track Derby Association or any of the big sanctioned um, which means for rankings tournaments um, in person at those events they know that the majority of the population in person are dirty people so their announcing will be a little bit more jargony but anytime they pick announcers for broadcast they pick announcers specifically who are good at doing just that breaking down the play-by-play -play in a digestible way because they never know who's going to be tuning into those broadcasts exactly the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on everything imaginable this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than any place online. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on win, division, and championship futures now. Head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. 2020 has been the year of things that are completely out of your control, but there's one thing you can control, and that's Manscaping. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin-safe technology are designed to reduce nicks and tugs on your fellas down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light, so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. It's got a four-piece luxury nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools and includes tip tweezers, round pointed scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. You'll find a lot of stuff on their website at manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair. That's armchair, A-R-M-C-H-A-I-R at manscaped.com. That's one-fifth of the price off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code armchair and finally take some control over 2020. So we keep bringing it back to, or we keep mentioning derby names. Uh, yeah. So where did derby names come from? You mentioned that it started with the revival, but they kind of did it before when it was mostly an entertainment scripted uh, experience. What makes a derby name, what makes a good derby name? whatever is good for the skater <laughs> to be so a good derby name is whatever the skater you know feels comfortable being called during during play um but one of the most you know one of the more common things we hear with derby names are puns like a play on words um or it'll be and sometimes it'll be a play on words incorporating part of their actual name some of it will just be picking on a fandom that that skater really enjoys other folks will go by their last name. Um, there's a lot of skaters, and it's actually becoming more and more common for skaters to pick their last name over their previous skater name as they're trying to move forward with legitimizing the sport. Um, so we're kind of in this weird, you know, we're starting to see a, a switch back to back to real names. Um, but I don't think derby names will ever go away because I think that's one of the things that makes derby so much fun is that it, you know, it, we take ourselves seriously when we're on the track, but it, you know, we like to have fun, um, you know, and I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's some people out there who I know their derby name, but I could never tell you what their actual name is because I don't really know it. <laughs> 
Um, there's a, a skater in Scar. Her derby name is the Ovarian Fist. And we call her Ovi. And uh, with and her actual name is Amber. And anyone, whoever calls her Amber, I'm like, who the heck is Amber? But like, we all knowingly, lovingly call her Ovi. Another skater who just moved away, her derby name was Zombabe. We all called her Zom or Zombabe. And it gets so normal for us that I'll be in like a mixed crowd of people. I'll be like, Zombabe. And people will look at me and they're like, what did, what did you just call her? Do you... I love stuff like that because where I work at an environmental center, we have what we call nature names. And so for summer camp, uh, it's partially to help the magic of summer camp, teaching kids outside and playing games. But uh, it's also really cool to be able to choose your own name and then uh, have, you know, all these people by that name. And I can't tell you how many people I know by only their nature name. So like Fiddlehead, which is a type of fern. And yeah. I call him Fids as a nickname. That's so, great. Like, I, it's weird for me to hear the other, his actual name. I think one of the parts about derby names that I love so much is that you'll often hear that when people discover roller derby and join roller derby, they gain this new sense of confidence and self-discovery that they may have never had before. And so like in that, and a lot, you'll hear a lot of people will say, oh, it's my derby persona or, oh, you're, you know, teacher by day, derby girl by night. But really what I, <laughs> and I, you know, <laughs> I, I joke about that a lot because I, I don't see it that way. Like I see derby as part of who I am and I take parts of my life and bring it into derby and I take parts of my derby life and bring it into my real life. But I think when, when people join derby and when they're doing this, gaining the sense of confidence in this community and you know this new sense of self that, that they're gaining and earning throughout this that name gets tied to that and they get to you know really kind of hone in on who they want to be on that track and and who they want to be as a teammate and who they want to be as a league mate um because i want to you know make sure i'm including when i say league mate because leagues are more than just skaters they're the referees they're the volunteers they're the non-skating officials who take care of the stats and the scorekeeping um which is a, a huge job and an important job um and they all have names too so announcers have names uh even our emts have names so <laughs> the uh what are some of your favorite derby names whether they're from scar or uh other leagues around the world so there is a men's roller derby skater out of Buffalo, but he skates with Toronto, I think. And his derby name is Senior Wiener. And he is more popular, popularly known as the Buffalo Bills streaker. <laughs> wow. Um, he streaks during a Buffalo Bills game. And his picture went viral on the internet because he's in very good shape from derby. And he was sprinting down the field um, faster than some of the football players were playing that day. Um, and I just love, I love his name, Senior Wiener. Um, I also really love um, some of the big names in Derby because so the same way that there's big names in football, like, you know, you say Peyton Manning and people usually know who that is. Um, in Derby, there's big names too because the top leagues in the world you you watch them and you learn from them and there's you know standout skaters either from their skate skating style being really unique or just they're a really good personality in the derby world i really love lady trample and skull eagle they're both out of denver i also really love um bonnie thunders it's a really great name um just like one of those names where you hear it and you don't forget it <laughs> yeah it's i i think the puns really make it for me because what, what are your favorites that you've heard? Uh, that's so difficult. I've been looking up some others. I think most of the ones that I know are from uh, from Scar and yeah. Ginger Ninja is always one of my favorites. Because oh, yeah. uh, I've had I have several friends that have red hair and at mm -hmm. least one of them we called Ginger Ninja for a while. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's see. Zombabe was a great one. The Our coach Blackout Betty. Yes. Uh, the plan, like the 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 black uh, well, it's a plan. A lot of things. <laughs> uh, I saw. I was looking at the roster, and Black Eye Susan is a great one. Mm -hmm. Just all those puns are fantastic. Yeah, there's there's so many good names out there. I sometimes I'm like, oh, my name's kind of lame, but uh, 
you know, I, I always think like, oh, well, like, what if I change my name? And I actually, you know, meaning my last name, and I do have a backup derby name if I ever move or if I ever get married, I'll have a backup derby name. Uh, Are you willing to reveal that or is that a secret? Oh, I'm, I'm totally, I, I would love to reveal it. So, and because it has a story with it. When I first joined Derby, um, I, in my fresh meat class, we called it at the time, but now we call it fresh cuts. Um, there was a girl and her name, her, you know, her normal people name was Lina <laughs> and my normal people name is Tina. And rather being Tina and Lena, it became Lina and Tina, like <laughs> for whatever reason. So a lot of my teammates in SCAR don't even actually call me by my, like they don't call me Letter or Havoc, they call me Tina. And it kind of stuck. And it stuck after I had already changed my derby name once. And I was like, I can't change my derby name again. I have all these shirts with my name on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it'd be a very expensive change. Um, so if I ever moved to a new league, um, or if I ever changed my last name, uh, my new derby name, Dremel, would be uh, Tynamite. That's a great one. I know. I'm I'm kind of mad that I like, you know, if, if derby comes back anytime soon, I might just do the switch then, you know, as like a revival because, you know, it's, we've, I've, no one, I've never taken this long of a break from derby aside from when I've been recovering from like injury and even then I don't think it took this long. So. <laughs> yeah. I hope it comes back too, because I'm, I don't know that much about it still. I'm still a rookie in the like following Derby world, mm -hmm. but I would love to see it come back. The biggest concern across the world about Derby um, is that these grassroots leagues, as we call them, where it's leagues that you know don't even have enough skaters to make up a full team, but still practice or parked out. Um, the rinks or the warehouses or the, um, the you know the buildings that they practice in that they've been able to scrape together practice space won't survive. You know what we're kind of going through right now. Um, the the glimmer of hope that I currently have is that roller skates are selling out everywhere because of TikTok. <laughs> like the the skate like the skate warehouses have never been working as hard as they're currently working now and there's this huge boom of roller skating again. So what we're really hoping for is that enough of these leagues make it through, you know, the economic crisis associated with COVID and that once it's safe enough to play again and this would probably be an entire other conversation the WFTDA at least has put forward a very, very thorough return to play guideline. One that is so thorough, it's gotten like national recognition. There was an article, I think it was a Wired article written about it actually. Um, it's a tiered approach based 100% on numbers. But anyway, that's again, entirely different conversation. <laughs> when, we, when we do make it back, the fact that WFTDA is changing their minimum skill requirements and making it more about you know, teaching to play derby rather than just teaching to skate is that we'll have all these people who picked up roller skating um, through watching TikTok and then uh, will will want to join their local roller derby league. <laughs> We've already had people reach out to SCAR actually. That's awesome. And yeah. I know that like over the summer, because you can't be in huge groups, finding something that you can do individually is has been huge. Like I learned to longboard because I didn't have much else to do. Uh, so if I had some skates, I might have learned how to skate. The I fully and wholeheartedly believe that one of the things that makes a good derby skater, aside from understanding the rules, is having just really strong basic skating skills. Learning how to be stable on their skates, learning how to stop, learning how to turn around, learning how to quickly change direction. Um, so, you know, if you're listening out there and you're like, wow, roller derby sounds cool, just grab a pair of skates and even if it's a space as big as your garage that's all you need sometimes just to start work picking up on different footwork so and there's a lot of really great skaters out there right now making like how-to videos on tiktok youtube facebook however you consume media um i wish i had some of those names but i can send you them afterwards yeah so for those people who are listening and thinking that uh, SCAR, or not just SCAR, but Derby in general, sounds really interesting, uh, anyone can volunteer to be uh, like a ref 
or a an announcer or a scorekeeper or even a coach, but who can skate? So if you are, so there's a bunch of different types of leagues out there. State College Ray Roller Derby is a member of the WFTDA member league, which is um, the Women's Flat Track Derby Association. But our like our gender policy is if, it, if the Women's Flat Track Derby Association is the place for you and that's where you would want to skate, you you know identify as female or non-binary and feel that the Women's Flat Track Derby Association is the place for you, you can skate with us. Um, there's also men's roller derby, if that's a place for you. We don't currently have a league here in State College, but I think the closest ones, there's one outside of Pittsburgh and one outside of Philadelphia. There's also junior roller derby, which is completely co-ed, by the way, um, junior roller derby. And then there's also just some leagues out there who, you know, they're not even affiliated with any any organization. So, you know, those are sometimes harder to find because there's not like a search engine for them. Um, but you, you can probably just Google roller derby near me and see what pops up. Awesome. Now, when, during a bout, if you are playing jammer, give me a quick rundown or just what are you thinking? What are you seeing? What is your plan? Oh my gosh. When, <laughs> um, I'll say this. Um, and I, I, I I say it, but I, I, I wasn't always the best at it, but you know, if going, going back, this would be something that I would, you know, do more of is even if I'm not on the track, I'm always trying to be watching what's going on. Um, I think one of the things that makes a strong skater in any position is good awareness. And so when I say awareness, it's, you know, where am I on the track? Where's the other team on the track? Where's the other team's jammer? Where's my team? You know, I could be a really strong jammer. I can, you know, if I, I'm not saying that I am, but like, just say, for example, like I was really good at blowing holes through walls and, and making and storming my way through, but I didn't have the awareness to realize that the other team's jammer was right behind me. And I was also making a giant hole for them too. Um, not very, very good. So what's going through my head is trying to constantly keep some type of idea of what's going on around me at all times. Um, I think one of the other things that as a jammer you're always trying to do is get through the pack. And my style was don't touch me, AKA like, how can I make it through the pack with in the path of least resistance? And so sometimes that meant juking and faking them out and trying to get a blocker to go one way and I would go the other. Sometimes it meant trying to squeak through the smallest hole as possible on my toe stop all while paying close attention to my bench coach because if I don't listen to what my bench is telling me and listen to what my coach is telling me I'm not you know I'm not playing as a teammate you know even though jammer is a very like can be on the outside looking in a very solo position I am nothing without my blockers I'm nothing without my bench um so it's making sure you're always playing as a team as well and there are people of all different body types, different skill sets. What uh, what do you typically see in uh, in a blocker versus a pivot versus a jammer? Is there different strategies depending on who plays each each position? A blocker does need to have the ability to stop a skater behind them. Like if and I, I'll say this: I very early on had a lot of things that made me strong as a jammer, but I was not very strong as a blocker at all. I was I was good at getting going forward and getting like going away and and skating fast, and but I wasn't very good at stopping myself or others. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's something that um, is hard. As a blocker, you also need to be able to work well with others. Um, so that's another thing that sometimes you can be a good jammer but if you don't work well with others you're not going to be a good blocker um and when i say work well with others like if you constantly want to go off on your own and go rogue that's not going to you're not going to be very good at making a wall of blockers a good pivot um is someone who's good at both jamming and blocking which is hard um i have so much you know as as a jammer primarily who recently started to fall in love with blocking within the past two years um People who are like full-time pivots, I have so much respect for them because at a moment's notice, they need to go from blocker brain to jammer brain. Because um, the way that we normally play at our full-time jammers are 
people who are going out to jam, they never go in to, to block usually. But our our pivots at any moment's notice have to go from, from being a blocker to being a jammer. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when you, uh, have you played pivot much recently? I played pivot for the B team a bit. Um, I never played it for the A team except for uh, there was one game where my particular jamming strategy just wasn't working well against the other team. Um, they were really good at um, p- plugging in those holes that I usually take advantage of. Uh, and they just they just had my number. Like they just really were good at blocking my type of jamming. Um, so they swapped me out for a different style jammer who was normally our pivot. And I became I became pivot. That That is a reason why we would do that. Um, so... But when I say recently, I mean, that was <laughs> over a year ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so with, obviously, that's what it's like on the uh, on the track. You've also been a referee. What is the, uh, how difficult is it to pay attention to everything at once? Or have, when you're focusing on one jammer, what are you thinking about keeping an eye on uh, while wearing stripes? So my, I, I refereed one game, <laughs> but, um, like one game from start to finish, but I've refereed some practices and I refereed, I think I refereed somewhere else. I can't remember. Um, but I refereed like one game that wasn't even like a sanctioned game. Um, and the, our head referee at State College of Road Derby, his name is Chris Brace. He's been part of SCAR from the beginning. He's also done a stint as our head coach. He's been involved with Derby for a while. He's heavily involved as a referee. He's actually certified. He's a recognized certified official by the WFTDA. He's been a head referee for some big tournaments. Chris Brace is a wealth of knowledge, and he's very, very good at teaching. So same way that when we first start teaching skating skills and kind of focusing on like one thing at a time, Brace had me focus on one position as a referee at a time. And with that kind of comes, okay, when you're in this, which is the front inside pack ref, um, if you're focused, if you're in this position, here are the things you're most commonly going to be looking for, most commonly going to be calling. Here are the jobs of this, of this front pack position. Um, one of those jobs would be to remind the other referees if lead is still open, meaning that no jammer has earned lead yet. Because sometimes you can go like a minute into a jam and lead hasn't been earned. And sometimes you have to kind of remind everyone like, hey, by the way, lead is still open. Um, And you're, you know, so I was focused kind of on this one area of the pack to watch. It was my area of the pack to manage. I had a couple things that I had to keep an eye on. Um, And that was really helpful in learning the role. And then we were going to start training me to be a jam rep, where your job there is to count the jammer's points, to watch that jammer. you know, watch any penalties that they're committing or being committed to them and communicating the points to the scorekeeper. The head referee is usually also the pack referee and their job the entire time is making sure that the pack stays um, intact, which I can go into pack definition, but with it being very uh, visually based, it's kind of difficult. But basically if, if the group of skaters gets too spread out or if there's too much of a gap between two groups of blockers there's the pack becomes either illegitimate or goes more mostly to one of those two groups anyway that's their job (laughs) um and then the outside pack refs is actually a really challenging position because they have to watch basically all the play and just watch penalties and they have to do like the fastest skating because physics and the pack is the, the track is obviously longer on the outside than it is on the inside um so they'll like rotate off and do stuff i wasn't ready to learn that yet (laughs) that's a challenging position i'm sure uh what about from a photographer's uh perspective what is it like being in the photographer uh group as opposed to on in a league on a team uh and what are the different what do you need to like think about as a photographer man oh man so my, I love being a photographer in Derby and I'm so glad that I started doing it because it's something that if my body can't skate anymore, I will always have photography. 
Um, it is so addicting because like I said, there's so much that's going on at once. And if anyone is listening to this, it's ever dabbled in, in action photography or even just photography in general, you know, you're always chasing that like perfect shot. So in one year I went from just taking pictures of like my team to taking pictures at the battle of the all-stars, which is this, um, annual event where the all-star teams from each state, which is not recognized by the WPDA. You kind of try out for your state team. And if you make it, you're on the state team. Um, I'm on the Pennsylvania all-stars, um, state teams from all across the country and Canada, um, come together for this four day long event. So I put, I took photographs of 32 out of the 35 or 36 games from over the course of four days that weekend. So that was like my first time ever taking pictures. And then by the end of that year, I got invited to um, shoot the championships, the world championships. I got invited to join the Philadelphia roller derby team um, because I'm originally from Philly and have some friends out there and they asked me to come along with them. So I drove up to Montreal and here I am, my first year into derby photography, taking pictures at the, basically the Super Bowl. <laughs> and the only reason I was able to get that far is because of how incredibly supportive the other photographers were. Um, my first time taking pictures at Battle of the All-Stars, um, Andrew Keyes, Juan Caden, and my friend Ross, I'm sorry, his last name is escaping me. They let me borrow lights. They let me borrow, like, their, their triggers for those lights. They let me play around with some different lenses, all because they were like, you know, photography is, you know, exhausting. And the more photographers we have out there, the more, you know, different angles and opportunities we have to capture these skaters and spread the word about their team. And then for world championships, um, David Dyke, who has been taking pictures in roller derby for a very long time he's he lives in brooklyn new york um he let me borrow and use some of his lights and a second camera um at world championships so the only reason that i was able to have the equipment to take those pictures was because of other people in the photography world so that's you know that's essentially like a skater being like sure you can try out for my team and use my skates like it, it just still to this day completely boggles me how willing they were just to be like yeah use my lights i don't care if i don't have lights for this game like unbelievable um and yeah i know that was like a, a big a big you're not going to get short-winded answers from me <laughs> no that's totally fine i love um, again anything uh and everything is what i want to hear but one of the things that I, bring, I think that has been really helpful in my photography career thus far um, is that I see I see what skaters see because I am a skater first and foremost and I think that was one of the reasons why I was really able to jump in and, and start taking photos and know where to look and know okay just because the jammer coming around the track by herself is compositionally a beautiful photo you know uh, there's other things to take pictures of um, you know, what's the bench manager doing? What's going on? What are the referees doing? What are the announcers doing? What are the non-skating officials doing? What are the fans doing? Um, that is, there's so much going on at any moment. And I, I've said that a lot. And I think that's like the definite, what, how do you define roller derby? Well, there's a lot going on all of <laughs> um, in every aspect, but um, there's nothing like standing in the middle of the track during the championship game at world championships and just looking up into the crowd and seeing everyone cheer and then there was this little cheering section that was cheering for like the referees and at one point they were like go photographers Woo! and i was like what is going on <laughs> that's was, terrific it was unreal totally worth the 10-hour drive to montreal totally worth the parking ticket that i got because i didn't understand the street sign for one thing um it was an amazing experience and I cannot wait to take pictures of Derby again almost as much as I can't wait to, you know, skate again whenever my time to skate again is. Of course. Uh, now talking about amazing experiences, I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you have any life highlights that you want to mention? Well, there's two that I can think of. Um, oh gosh, there's like three. Um, <laughs> I'll pick, I'll do two. Well, okay. The, the first the first one is really simple. Um, it was the first time that I was drafted to the A team. 
we were getting, uh, we were, we had a guest coach that was from Pittsburgh who now skates with Jacksonville. Her name is Snot Rocket and she's, you know, a big name in Derby as well. Also she a great guest- name. Yeah. Great name. Um, Snot Rocket Science is actually her full Derby name. Um, but she just goes by Snot. Um, she was teaching a practice. I was still on the B team. I was only like, eight, I was only like eight or nine months into Derby, but I, I caught on, I caught on quickly, um, which was, you know, not everyone's, you know, story, but, uh, I was at practice and practice had ended. She did her guest coaching and she called me into the center of the, the, the rink and like my head coach was there and like the team captains were there and she's like, they wanted me to talk to you. And I thought like she, she looked really upset and I was like, oh my gosh, did I like do something inappropriate? You know, did I disrespect her? And I just, they're like, um, actually, actually, I'm not the one to ask the question. And then they were like, Tina, we, we want you to, to be on the dolls. And I start crying. <laughs> That's so typical of a uh, like of the veteran players is pranked the younger players by acting as if something bad has happened and then promoting them. Yeah, and that was like a mid-season promotion. We usually announce our draft in the beginning of the year, but if we ever want to, if there's ever a vacancy on the roster and they want to, you know, bump someone up, they, we can do that um, at any time. So that was a, a big highlight for my personal career. A big highlight for um, our league was the first time we ever won first place at a tournament was um at the river valley riot in 2017 i believe we came in in the i think you wrote an article about this we came in like the fourth seed and i always get this wrong it's either the fifth or the fourth seed and i can just hear betty listening to this (laughs) getting mad at me this is the one number i didn't look up um and we we came out at first and the team we played in the final game was a team from texas and they were called rockin city rollers and it came down to the last jam and I was like, I'll be honest, like it was not a good game for me personally, but it was an amazing game for us, the team. And just, you know, leaving that, leaving that tournament, first time we ever did a tournament, first place trophy, it was like, ah, this is amazing. The third highlight for myself was a year later, we played, well, actually less than a year later, but the next tournament we ever did was in Maine. And this is the first we ever traveled we get to the final game and we play against the same exact team. And unfortunately we, we did not come in first. We came in second. Um, but it was such a good game. Like we, it was down to like one of the final jams. I think we, we played really well. It came down to some penalties and just some, you know, mis- mismanaging of some, some penalties in, in the clock. But again, that, that team is amazing. Rock and city roller girls. And the game highlight for me was that fact that it was this, the girl who won most valuable blocker from our team, it was her first time playing on the A team and she got most valuable blocker. Um, and I, and I got most valuable jammer against this team who was able to shut me down the year before, um, they gave me most valuable jammer. So it was like this combined moment of like, Oh, we did so well. I can't believe we got second. It still felt like a win. And then they were like my white whale last the year before, and then they gave me MVP jammer. But then I got to share the MVP with this girl who like kicked the butt. Her name was Black Widow, and it was just like there's a picture of me when she got announced for MVP blocker, and I'm just making the most obscene face because I'm like crying, and <laughs> it was like the best loss ever. Like if that makes any sense, and that's still a highlight because it was like a lot of personal growth for me, but also to really share that moment with someone who got to get mvp blocker her first time blocking like a full game with us it was just a really cool moment that's fantastic uh i want to thank you for uh spending so much time talking to me about this but i do have one last question and that is what do you want to say to those interested in playing or volunteering or just becoming a fan oh man um if you're thinking about learning more about roller derby and where you fit don't you know, don't be afraid to reach out to your local league, even if they're not currently practicing right now in person. There's so many ways that you can probably still get involved. You know, you could start watching, you know, the, the games of the best of the best, or you can start searching for footage of the games that your local league is playing. You know, there might be video footage that they can send along to you. Um, start if you want to skate. 
um, and you're not currently physically active, um, obviously talk to your doctor before starting any type of physical activity. <laughs> That's the health coach in me. <laughs> but um, you know, start on working on your on your core strength. Start doing some squats, getting your range of motion and your flexibility um, in check. You know, make sure your body is ready. Because one thing I feel like we didn't even talk about today, which is such a big part of derby, is it's a full contact sport. You're going to get hit. You're going to be hit. You're going to hit others. You're going to fall. It's going to hurt sometimes, but it's it's all really fun. And the same person who knocked you down is going to help you right back up again. Um, and if skating isn't for you, like I said, in this one conversation, we talked about how you can be a referee. You can be a non-skating official. You can be an EMT. You can be an announcer. You can be a photographer, a videographer, a reporter. Um or you can just be your number one fan of your local league and, you know, help support them in this really difficult time. See if they're doing any local fundraisers. See if they're doing any type of t-shirt sales. Um, local leagues are really hurting right now because, you know, we aren't able to have games. We aren't able to go out and fundraise in large groups. So, you know, if, if there's anything that you can gather from, you know, this big long rant is find your local league, reach out to them and see how you can, you can help because, I'm sure if you enter the derby world, it will be one of the best decisions you ever make. Fantastic. Again, Letter Havoc, thank you so much for your time and for teaching me so much about derby over the last few years. I feel like I still didn't even touch on a lot of it, and I feel like my ramblings sometimes don't make sense, but I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it because I haven't really, unfortunately, thought much about it. <laughs> so it uh, kind of revived my excitement for it. And I think I might go watch some games from last year's championship because I was so busy taking pictures of the games last year. I, I didn't really actually get to see some of it. <laughs> and we can always have another episode too. If you have, if you think of some stuff that we didn't get to talk about that you think is really important. I mean, the only other thing I failed to mention is um, if this is a local, I don't know, is this a local podcast or if anyone from, you know, the local area is um, State College at your roller derby is about to celebrate its 10th anniversary on October 10th, 2020, State College area roller derby will be 10 years old. And some of my league mates have been there since the beginning and um, are working hard right now to figure out some type of celebration. So keep your ears open to see what that will be like, because we want to thank the community that's helped support us over these past 10 years um, so that we could, you know, still be around today. Fantastic. A huge thanks again to Letter Havoc for talking derby with me yet again. She taught me everything I know about the sport while I was writing articles on Scar Derby for a local newspaper, as we mentioned a few times. You can find her on the internet at Letter Havoc on Twitter, and to see her incredible derby photos as well as other photography work, visit at Tina Letter Photography on Instagram. I also highly recommend you check out either a local derby league if you're interested in volunteering or skating, or just watch some highlights on YouTube if you haven't yet. You can only learn so much about a sport like this through an audio medium. I'd love to hear any ideas you have for niche sports and athletes I should reach out to for an episode, so send me a DM at Butler on the Air, really anywhere online. I'm excited to hear about your ideas. It would also help the podcast out a ton if you subscribed wherever you get your podcasts and left a review, especially on iTunes. Each review helps get the show in new ears, and I'd greatly appreciate your 30 seconds of help. Until next time, I'm Tommy Butler, and you've been listening to The Ocho.